0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin.
1: And my name is EJ Kerwin.
0: And as always, we're just so grateful to our listeners and all the amazing feedback we've been hearing. And again, just so grateful that we can be here supporting couples and doing what we love.
1: Absolutely. And today we're... Uh very grateful. I also feel, feel sort of blessed and honored to have a really important guest on today. His name is Dr. Stan Tatkin. He is a clinician, a researcher, a teacher, and he's a developer of the Psychobiological Approach to Couples Therapy. He's the founder of the PACT Institute, which is a institution that teaches i, I believe like clinicians uh, his methods what he's learned over the years and and really from our standpoint right. he is one of the primary thought leaders yep. in couple wellness you know like we have a group of therapists here that work with us and his information is the information that our clinicians are going to on a on a daily basis um just incredibly honored you know thank you for being here Stan Thank you. It's good to be with both of you, Tara and EJ.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: As we were preparing, one of the first things that just popped into at least my mind was like, gosh, like, you know, you have dedicated, Mm -hmm. you know, your career to this and you've become, like I said, this, this person who is a thought leader is kind of at the forefront of how to help couples, you know, be as well as they can together and just What has that journey been like for you and and why couples counseling? Like, why did you end up there? It's a good question because
2: I I never thought I would. When I was a trainee, that's (laughs) pre-intern, I was in a training program doing group psychotherapy. My first was being trained in group and family systems. And I, like so many other young therapists, was put in front of a two-way mirror. And I had my first couple encounter and it terrified me. And I thought after that, after that experience, I would never do it again. So I'm as surprised as anybody. So I went through a whole process, a whole journey from working in groups to doing gestalt, to being psychoanalytically trained, to working with John Bradshaw as an inpatient psychotherapist, Mm -hmm. again, doing group. To doing uh, directing a drug and alcohol program charter uh, to doing specialized work with personality disorders in my private practice and then i started to get into the brain through uh, my then mentor alan shore and became fascinated with psychobiology the development of the infant and adult brain Mm -hmm. throughout the lifespan and that's uh, where I kept going. Got into attachment. Uh, was very interested in prevention programs through the Watch, Wait, and Wonder program in Canada, Toronto, actually. And then I started to work with infant caregiver pairs in my practice using video capture. I could not get a lot of people to come in because people just. Didn't want to come in unless they had the tremendous problems for infants. Right. So I switched over to adult pair bonding. I found that there is almost a one-to-one relevance between infant caregiver attachment and adult attachment. And then I never looked back. Mm. I, I used all the video technology to start doing research and to work with couples only. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And I love it.
0: I know it's. I mean, when we kind of developed the program that we do here, and when we were working with attachment theory in our couples, it's just everything just makes. So much sense. It feels like it all comes together. And the way that couples relate to each other, because I used to do some research too with infant bonding with their moms, it's like being able to see all of that attachment work play out in your intimate relationships and help couples understand that it kind of was pre existing even before they got together. It's just been so powerful in our work.
2: Well, there is something to be said for studying babies. Um, I think people would do well in our field who go through that. And uh, because we're all babies, basically, and it's all there, you know, uh, watching the interactions between uh, between caregivers and their infants, and then toddlers and children and so on. It's all there in terms of adult pair bonding, Uh, what we see the movements that people make toward and away from each other, the hesitancy, the fears, all of that is uh, sort of baked in very early, pre-memory even. And so it's a lovely study and it's done me very, very well. That along with uh, psychoanalytic training has done me very well in my practice.
0: I'll have to just share a a story with you when, um, because I, even in my master's program, I knew I wanted to do couples work. So my master's thesis was on EFT focused therapy. And I was like, what, it was like 23 years ago. And Uh, So when EJ and I kind of went through our journey and we blended our family and then we had twins right after our honeymoon that had colic and I was taking them on a walk and crying because I wasn't sleeping and I just said, like, EJ, if, like, two trained therapists are having – this much trouble, like, because it really was a train wrecked our relationship. I said, let's open up a couples counseling center. And he's like, Absolutely not, Tara. He's like, I <laughs> they're do too, not, they're too hard. I do not like working with couples. Like ever. and and I just said, Well, like, let's wait and hear me out. And that's kind of how it all started, though. He was pretty resistant and I was right? Did I sell you honey? Cause here we are seven years later.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it's been great. I mean, but it, I mean, I remember just as a young clinician thinking like, God, like couples are just like so unwieldy, you know, mm-hmm. like, like it's just mm-hmm. so easy to get caught up into their <laughs> dynamics and get lost in it. You know, is, is, is that an experience early on in your career stand that you, that you had? Oh, I think anybody who works with
2: couples goes through a process of learning how to work, with that system. It's a very specialized work because unlike working with individuals or working with more than two people, there's a specificity with the numbers. Um, working with a dyadic system in a triad is very different than doing family or doing small group or large group. And so it takes a while, I think, to really understand the system one is working with. And all of the other things that go along with it, the phenomenology, the inner subjectivity of that system, and the amount of countertransference that one can mm-hmm. experience. Countertransference is the experience the therapist has emotionally, as if watching mm-hmm. a movie or a play, that gives the therapist some good information
1: about what is going on in the couple, but could also mislead the therapist as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we, we do when we're doing our uh, supervision with our therapist, that's like the, you know, it's just like you We're always cycling back to that is like, you know, you're sitting in the room with these two people and the energy you're getting off of them individually. And then as a couple, like, how can you pay like really close, close attention, attention mm-hmm. but not, you know, not from like a personal place, but from like an understanding of like, gosh, what is it like for me to be in this system for this right. hour and 15 minutes?
2: Well, one of the things we do is we are in rolling chairs. And so the chairs that are moving, that are able to adjust and so on, give the therapist and the couple uh, mobility and our own ability to regulate ourselves as therapists to move around and shift our state with our position. But we're also paying a lot of attention visually to micro expressions and micro Mm -hmm. movements. We track. Mm -hmm blood flow in the, in the face, uh, muscle movements in the striated muscles of the face, even pupil size, breathing, heart rate through, through the neck or the nose. And so we're tracking all these implicit somatic aspects moment by moment, and we're not paying as much attention to the digital, to the right. content of what people are saying. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like studying babies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're studying any organism that doesn't talk because talk can be very misleading. So that's right. that was the early research and still you know we use digital frame analysis to watch frame by frame people's faces and their reactions and how they're, how they're moving and how they're signaling each other in these lightning fast ways that are picked up as threat cues. Mm-hmm. By it's just a different way of viewing these two people or these two animals in their
1: orbit, right as they interact. I mean, I think that's a, that's a perfect segue into, you know, where we wanted to go down with you. And it's because you know, the majority of our listeners are, are couples, you know, they're, they're okay. people who are coming to listen to this because they're trying to figure out like how to make their relationship better, you know? And what we see over and over and over when people are coming in is they're coming in, in this state where they've become complete adversaries. Mm-hmm. And, right. and they're like totally confused about it. They're frustrated. They don't understand. They think that like they're alone, like they're the only people to have a relationship where they feel like, you know, they're against one another. And, you know, we really wanted to have an entry point with you around like, you know, helping people understand like, you know, on a base level, why does that happen? You know, why do they end How up in How do they that fall dynamic?
0: into those dynamics exactly?
1: Well, it actually is a, a human primate
2: issue. There's things to know about our species and how our brains work that are really a part of the human condition, and people don't understand it. We don't go to school for that Mm -hmm. when we're children. And so there are several things that people should know. One is that the human primate is a memory animal. Everything we do is by memory. In fact, most of our day is memory-driven. We're not thinking, we're not using, you know, critical thinking, and we're operating by really fast recognition systems that get us through the day and we're automated. So that's all human beings and partners are no different. Um, When they're just meeting each other, they're far more aware and far more present with each other, but they're, you know, a bit uh, drugged from endogenous drugs that everybody, when there's novelty uh, start to produce, which can shift their judgment. But Many of those endogenous chemicals cause this incredible ability to focus and be attentive and be present, which will go away in a short order of time. Once we automate each other, we start to think we know each other, and then we take liberties and we lose formalities that we would have otherwise had. But the other thing is because this memory system goes very long with a couple, the couple system we consider a primary attachment system like only the earliest caregiver infant relationships, the very first relationships that we have that are dependency oriented. So here we are in an adult relationship in an interdependent relationship is what it should be. And we start to remember what it's like. We start to remember what happens when we depend on another person, that's where the attachment system kicks in, but that's not the only thing we are sloppy energy conserved animals Mm -hmm. we do the least amount necessary and that is uh true in love relationships and in family relationships and so we're not exactly fit for unionization unless we've been trained to be part of a team part of an alliance and what it requires in an adult relationship based on free union right? People are volunteering to do this. Mm -hmm. And it should be based on terms and conditions, not love. Love is not the reason to marry or not the reason to unionize. It's the reason to start getting together. That's nature's way of pulling us together and hopefully getting us to continue the species. But make no mistake, nature is not interested in relationships. And so what happens? is that left to our own devices, we will do what we know and what we know is what we've experienced unless we suffer, in which case we're going to learn about ourselves. Otherwise, we don't. And we're just going to behave automatically. And because we're threat animals that are picking up threat cues all the time, we're going to start to tune in because of memory to that face, that gesture, that sound, that movement, that space that's not filled in by a signal. All these words and phrases that we become sensitized to become threat cues. And if we're not skillful, if we don't really understand how to create a system that is architecturally ours, you know, that you, let's say you and, and EJ, you and Tara, are consciously co-creating a culture of your own an architecture a relationship that's made up in your head specifically because you both have the same purpose and vision in mind right that is the basis of all unionization is that we get together based on shared purpose and the main reason usually is survival right that's been since the beginning of time and then prosperity Let's do this and let's never do that. We're both mutual stakeholders and therefore we have to always be collaborative and cooperative or we will start stealing and robbing and threatening each other and we'll become more and more unfriendly. And so couples aren't set up this way. So they're going to run their course if they're not set up with a purpose, if they're not fully operating in a fair, just and collaborative, cooperative way And they're going to do what all people do. And that is whatever they want when they want to, when they're under stress. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's
2: the central reason why relationships of these kind don't last very long across the globe, across time, because people just don't know how to work as a two-person
0: system. Right. And the understanding of like kind of what it takes, because I think a lot of like when we see a lot of couples, they're like, oh, we just don't love each other anymore. We're not in love. We don't have that passion. You know, it's kind of like this idea of like, the grass must be greener, they're not supposed to be for me. But then when we kind of in that first couple of sessions get to their shared values, right? we try to kind of circle them back to that. Like, why did you guys get together in the first yeah. place?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing that pops up for me when you when you were talking about like we're drawn together by love, by, you know, right. by chemicals. Right. But then our commitment really should be based upon agreed terms of living, which we generally don't do or, or if we do, we do a pretty like shallow job of it. Right, exactly. So when they come in because they didn't have those those shared terms, that creates the conflict that is everything you're talking about with the micro expressions and seeing threat, perceived threat. And so as clinicians, but also for a couple, like what is like that balance of like helping them understand you know, that they're triggering each other's sort of like, you know, adaptive survival instincts, but also helping them find agreeable terms. Does Does that make sense?
2: Yes, I think education partly is that, you know, people don't understand that all people are naturally annoying and difficult and mm-hmm. burdensome. There is no getting around that. There is no easy person over time up close, isn't. And so annoying and being a pain in the butt is just is just normal. Um that people are different, because I hear this and I'm sure you do too, we're so different. Yeah, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. That has no bearing on anything. Having different interests, no bearing on anything. It really has to do with agreements. Uh, You want apples. I want oranges. Um, That's not a deal breaker because just go up another level. We both want fruit. No problem. We can make that happen. Do we want to feel loved and appreciated and admired and chosen throughout every day? Yes, we do. Okay, how do you know this is DoorDash, you know, affection? How do you want your affection? Yeah, broaden the terms, right? Yes, always find where this is how people unionize historically everywhere uh, today. Where do we agree? Where are we the same and not where we're different? Where are we the same? And where do we agree? Not disagree. Right. People can always find it. People can always find it. Now, there are deal breaker situations such as I want a baby and the other person says I never want a baby. That is going to be hard to broker. Or I need to live in the city. I hate the country and I need to live in the country. I hate the city. Right? That's a hard thing to broker. That could be a deal breaker. Or I want monogamy and you want polyamory.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Neither of us are wrong, but we can't be together because we're pointing in two different directions. So we're talking about pointing. We're talking about two people getting together based on what they both want and must have in order to live a happy, prosperous, and safe and secure life. People have been doing that since the beginning of time. People on that are homeless and that are mentally ill, do it. People who don't know each other and are in military troops, do it. People on sports teams, Mm -hmm. never knew each other, do it. Because they have a common purpose. We want to win. We want to survive. We want to prosper. Therefore, we all have to point in the same direction. Any system without a shared purpose or shared
1: vision is not going to last. And do you think couples don't, Oftentimes don't have that. They don't have that shared that shared purpose? I would say ninety nine percent of the time
2: they don't. Yeah. It's the only system where people do not think mm-hmm. in terms of how are we going to build this? How are we going to do this? What do we do if we act like human beings, which is basically selfish, yeah. self centered, impulsive, moody, fickle, yeah. opportunistic. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do when we are human beings? Yeah.
1: And when are we most human beings? When we're under stress. We're under stress. And it's, it's so ironic though, right? Because literally you get together with somebody most often to build a life together. You'd think people, they would be almost intuitive (laughs) or like, you know, evolutionary to do that together.
0: It's not. It's not. I mean, honey, look at us, right? We thought, oh my gosh, we're having twins. This is going to be amazing. We have this awesome relationship. We get along so well. And oh, then,
1: wait a minute, why are you doing it that way? Bam! We'll do it. <laughs> how we'll dare you go to
0: work and leave me here with these two nursing babies? I hate you. <laughs> yeah.
1: we're good people. We love each, each other. other. There's It'll no be... way you would ever lie to I me. Mean, we're even therapists. Like we, we, we know how to do this, right? <laughs> We're up like one to divorce every other day for two uh, years.
0: Systems, though. It was all about systems, Dan. I mean, it really was.
1: You wouldn't do a business that way. Well, you know, that has, you know, again, for us, that's, you know, we talk a lot about our personal journey on this show, but th- that's been a big part of being forced to create these systems that you're talking about and shared purpose is yeah. like, you know, running a business almost makes you do it more so than a family. Yes, Because there's more of a structure to it, a business, you know, you have to set up your codes of conduct and your operating procedures and all that. Whereas a relationship, you know, you can kind of, we all do, most people do, that's why they end up here is we wing it, right? Well, I
2: think the difference is in that in couples, people, because of the automation process, and because of the memory issue and the kind of relationship it is—a dependency relationship—people confuse each other as family, and they forget they're strangers. Right. They'll always be strangers who are trying to get to know each other constantly. And so, that I think is one of the reasons: the automation, the fact that we think we're back at home, and that mm-hmm. this is family, which is relieving and relaxing for some because it's familiar, but it's also an area where we drop our formalities. Where we are no longer considerate, where we think we can do whatever we want without, you know, we can't get fired, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a mistake. It's a mistake because these relationships are condition based, it's a deal or no deal constantly. And it's, you know, we meet the terms to make it worth our while. Otherwise, why are we doing it? It is a purpose, principle driven endeavor. That builds character because two people are working constantly together to create things that they would otherwise ordinarily never be able to do alone, and to be able to protect each other from an environment that is dangerous and mm-hmm. unpredictable and uncaring. So these two people have a pact, right? And together they rise, together they fall, just like you would if you were out and, and you were in special forces and your sergeant told you you're nothing the person to your left and right are more important than you they're going to save your life and the same with you
0: mm-hmm. with the
2: people around you right so so it's a different idea it's a different uh, ethos it's a different orientation of a two-person psychological system moving in tandem no longer mm-hmm. are we solo players no longer are we Separate agents, in so far as we can do something without having to think of the team. And that's where couples make a fatal mistake.
0: Right. Could you just describe that automation process you talk about just a little bit more in depth so that couples can understand what that means?
2: Yes. There is a certain area of our brain that loves novelty and that is very expensive, which is why we don't use it very much. It tends to be very energy hogging. And that is engaged anytime we travel, learn something new, uh, meet somebody new, are talking about something very exciting. And those areas are engaged. And that turns basically the whole brain or pretty much the whole brain on. And when we do, we're very alive. Mm -hmm. Now, we can only keep that up for so long because anything new is going to become old very soon go to the Eiffel Tower, you get excited, you're a buzz. you're turned on, you're on drugs, right? You're on this high presynaptic dopamine high, and then you go back and you see it again, and it's still strong, and you go back, and it's less strong, and you go back again, and it's time to move on to something new. We're the same. Uh, You meet somebody, you want to know everything about them, you're excited, you want to smell them, taste them, know everything, Uh, you want to touch their face, you want to explore them. And then the novelty wears off fairly soon, and you begin to automate each other. You think you know each other, and it's nature's way of conserving energy and moving you on to new things that you have to do. We wouldn't get out of a corner of a room if we didn't automate things, Mm -hmm. right? We'd be learning the same thing every day. So it's a natural thing that we do. It's part of biology, but it also can cause enormous problems because that's where we take people for granted. That's when we apply memory where it doesn't belong. That's where we take shortcuts and make assumptions and do all sorts of things. And we start to turn away from being present and attentive. And then we stop actually knowing who we're with, paying attention, looking at their face. We carry a picture of their face in our heads for months without ever really examining it again. Mm -hmm. And that's how the brain works naturally. If we do that, we get bored. We, again, take things for granted. And that is going to happen. And the only remedy is to actively make sure that we put in periods or Mm ritualize periods of full presence and attention. Otherwise, we lose our aliveness and we actually don't learn anything about ourselves or our partner. So that's the problem with automation is it's going to happen plan on it but
1: then you have to build in things now to counter it because it's not your friend. Yeah. I think that's one of the things we do with couples in our program is we take them through a timeline and genogram process pretty early on. Right, good. And sometimes just doing that is mm-hmm. such a major gear shift because there's such like almost an arrogance we all have about like knowing like, oh, I know everything about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when, when they sit there and they listen for an hour and a half, and we ask them, you know, clarifying questions of the one person, and they hear it in a different way, there's just, you know, I think what you're saying is, you know, it just it's new. reboots that system of seeing this person not as a facsimile flat object, but as somebody who's like, wow, there's, there's a lot more there. Absolutely, I mean tracy my my wife,
2: and my partner, we've known each other since seventh grade science, and wow, that um that is
0: so cute.
2: <laughs> we weren't an item, but we have a long history, and we still do pillow talk. We still talk about you know uh, things from our childhood neither of us ever knew. We've been on the planet too long, and then there's even opening your eyes because you know knowing someone or something is a plastic fluid state. Because our sense of self and others constantly changing depending on our state and our development. So, how I look at Tracy and how I understand her today is not the way I could have understood her five years ago. So, there's that as well. It's right. not just that. I don't know everything, which I don't, but I don't know everything with the mind I have today
1: yeah, that's interesting. and the
2: mind she has today and who she has become. And so this is how we should look at our children as well. And we do that when they're very young, but then we stop doing it because it seems like they're
1: not changing as much, but they are. Yeah. Boy, that that takes work though, right? Like Like that yes. level of curiosity, that's a big word we use is like curiosity, but that takes like intentional yes. action it's all intentional because again we're
2: lazy creatures this is across mm. the board lazy 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 <laughs> we do the least amount necessary <laughs> which is why we have principles and why we build rituals because if we don't have rituals mm-hmm. we'll never do these things
0: yeah right
2: and so these are conscious things that grown-ups do not people do because they know that left to our own devices it's barco lounger beer and bonbons in front of a tv (laughs) right and the
1: relationship dies on the vine everything does (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) i was gonna just say something that reminded me last night so with our twins they're eight now and you know i'm always i see them changing and growing every day and like looking at when they were babies and just how it goes so fast and and they're very different, you know, boy, girl twin. And uh, so I have this, and they're very competitive with each other, of course, because they're twins, and they're both of competitive spirits anyway. And so before bedtime, I started this ritual where I really want them to have eye contact when I'm kind of giving them like my love or like, I'm just so proud of you and what was really great today. And they have a really hard time maintaining eye contact. They almost get really uncomfortable with it. how so old How old are they? They're eight.
2: Yeah, that's around the time they're gonna start. So (laughs) so then
0: I'm now I'm doing this like little challenge, like, okay, let's see who's got better eye contact. Is it Mia or Jojo? And of course, like at the end, I'm like, you guys are both amazing. But it's like having them look at me just like in the eyes when I'm like, I love you. And they're like, I love you back. And what was really helpful today, and it's such a shift in like my nervous system. I'm hoping it is for them, but you can see them fighting it, and then they laugh because they they don't realize like how difficult it is for them to maintain that eye contact.
2: So that's a really interesting point. By the way, what's it like for you being an identical twin having twins?
0: I well, I'm a fraternal twin too. So my twin. Oh, you
2: are fraternal. Yeah,
0: okay. and. Well, I was so happy. I have, So I have a twin sister. She's blonde hair, blue eyes, like 5'4". I'm 5'8", brown hair, brown eyes. Um, I remember when I found out it was a boy and a girl, I was so relieved because high school, adolescence with my... Twin and I was really hard because even though we're fraternal, people would be like, oh, you're twins, but you look so different. And
2: it's like Betty and Veronica. It was yeah.
0: horrible. Like they Marcia, just Marcia, classified Marcia. us and they, you know, back in the day in like the 80s are like on a scale of one to 10, which twins prettier? I mean, it was. So when I found out it was a boy and a girl, I was so relieved. And it's really sweet because when I found out I was pregnant, my twin got pregnant at the same time. She did not have twins. She just had one. But so we had, you know, we were pregnant at the same time. It was pretty sweet.
1: That's neat. So
2: that's that's cool. That's really nice.
1: Do you like having twins, EJ? Oh, it's it's a blast. It's a blast. <laughs> it and well, it's it's interesting. So so um when Tara and I got married, I had two boys. They were like four and two when we got married. Three and
0: five, but that's Three
1: and okay. <laughs> and uh and they are like sometimes it's like you have to like give them a heartbeat they're they're just like they're extremely mellow kids and the twins are like well they're like Tara they're they're (laughs) full of energy full of passion emotions spilling out in every direction and so it it's such a it's really interesting having having these like really different sets of of kids (laughs) you know but yeah and I love the twin thing. It feels like a blessing. I, I can see how like other cultures, you know, we've read over the years, like other cultures, how twins are a blessing because it's just like, it's a remarkable experience in like challenging in and like, totally enriching ways, you know. Both. Right. And that's, that sounds really
2: lovely. Yeah, yeah. You know, the eye contact thing, there was a book written called Zubiquity, good book by UCLA cardiologist and zoologist, another author. And they talk about how Animals in the animal kingdom have the same psychiatric disorders as humans, except they're easier to treat because they don't talk, (laughs) but that there are certain animals, including human beings, sustained eye contact is difficult because it heats up the brain. So it's, it's highly stimulating. So that's why people gaze avert. They, uh, and babies will gaze avert, and your dog or hmm. your cat or whatever will gaze avert because it's to cool down the brain. It's an huh, autonomic reflex. reflex. And when uh, kids become a certain age, they have a harder time doing it because it's too arousing. And teenagers move into a very sympathetic period, sympathetic in terms of hyperarousal.
0: Right.
2: Um, and that hyperarousal translates into feeling trapped and held too long with eye contact. And so that's why they will avoid
1: start to avoid eye eye contact. That's why our oldest son is stays in his cave room as much as possible. Tara is always trying to pull him out of there. Yeah. (laughs) Because uh,
2: it's like a high energy cat, Uh, actually high energy cats, you know, uh, like uh, tigers and so on. If they are bound, let's say on an exam table and uh, forced to make eye contact, they can actually arrest Oh my yeah. gosh! So there's, uh, you think of teenagers as uh, as a high uh, arousal cat. Okay. It seems like he's going to
1: arrest sometimes. Don't be offended. With I'm going to uh, put the
0: pressure off. Thanks, Doctor Stan. Yeah. Don't be <laughs> offended
1: by the gaze aversion. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me jump back to. We want to help couples m- make decisions. You know, to to how to help themselves, right? And one of the dynamics you've talked about was the fact that. We sort of fall into these patterns of disconnection, right? Right. Because we just stop seeing the person as a brand new person. Mm -hmm. And beginning to pay attention, creating certain systems can help in that area. What's that like fulcrum point or that tipping point for you when you see a couple like, you know, look, you need help in getting that back versus a couple who's like, you know, we can read a book or we can institute some, some systems to, to reboot that.
2: Well, you're, you're talking about re- rekindling, rebooting excitement and, uh, uh, that feeling of falling in love again,
1: or just connection, you know, or just like not, not seeing them, as you said, like that just as a flat sort of you know, somebody you already know, and there's nothing more to learn. It's really quite simple. and, And it's going to seem foreign to most of us today because
2: we're deluged with screens and distractions, but in the old days and still can be done today, we would take time out and have no distraction and just hang out. Just hang out, shoot the breeze, sit on the porch, look at the, look at uh, you know, take a walk in the woods. Um, turn the TV off. Turn towards each other. Have pillow talk. You know, I think of that as truly making love. You know, making love is. Yeah to me is a period, undistracted period of time of being fully present with someone, your partner, and being curious, to use your word. And it's a getting to know you, getting to know all about you again and again. That's called primary inner subjectivity. Primary inner subjectivity is basically face-to-face, eye-to-eye, or talking just about each other, you know, in a no-demand zone right no demand condition then there's secondary inner subjectivity which is using something called joint attention and that is going places where you stimulate novelty again Hmm. you know tracy and i will we used to love to travel pre-covid and whenever we would travel and we'd see beautiful things it would actually allow us to amplify each other's excitement because only two human brains can create what's called an amplification effect And that is whatever one person feels is amplified at least tenfold by the other in terms of excitement. So we'll look at each other. God, I love being with you here. This is so beautiful, Mm -hmm. isn't it? And it revitalizes. We fall back in love with each other. Or you can do that with a pet or a child. You can do that with walking the neighborhood. You can do that with anything as long as you're jointly attending and you're using that third thing as basically food for uh, excitement for the two of you Mm -hmm. by the way that amplification effect cuts both ways negative emotion will be amplified by two people as well so watch out for
1: that family vacations
2: go wrong right (laughs) well that's when one of you becomes anxious and the other one begins to get anxious as well you're psychobiologically tied together where one goes so goes the other and so that's when you need to understand how the mind works and to know what to do at, at times like that. But when you're feeling great, you don't want to intervene, right? Let, let the dopamine and the oxytocin and vasopressin flow. But there are simple things that people can do every day. They're just not doing it. Yeah. They're just not doing it. Uh, you know, Tracy right. and I are falling in love with each other every day. And I'm not just saying that, but it's not because it happens. Because we have things in place every day that we do.
0: Yeah. You make the intentional
2: choice,
1: right? To make your relationship. Yeah. 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 I
0: mean, I can't tell you, Dr. Stan, like, so EJ goes to the gym at 5 a.m. And then I go at 7 and between 6 and 6.30 because, you know, we're busy. We've got the practice. We've got our four animals. We've got our four kids. Blah, 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 blah. Um, We have this sit down where we're just with each other and our coffee for 20 minutes at the most. And it is like the most enjoyable part of my day because I just get to be with EJ. It's
1: like a touchstone. Right? We we do That's our lovely.
0: check-in and our intentions. And if we didn't have that, and again, sometimes it's only 10 minutes because we have to make lunches because we forgot the night before, whatever it might be like that is our way of connecting every day. And one of the biggest things we tell our couples is like, start just a daily check-in where even five minutes you guys are trying to understand what your intention might be to stay connected for just moments throughout the day, because people are so plugged into this narrative around, there's just no time for us. There's no time for us. And I'm reading your book right now, Baby Bomb, that you co-authored oh, that with Kara. And oh, if only this would have been out eight years ago. <laughs> but it's like we—I never even thought about. Oh, my relationship comes first, and then the twins. Like prioritizing. I mean, I prioritize like nursing every whatever it was, and. I love this kind of baby bomb because it really says like you have to make agreements, you have to prioritize your partnering before parenting, because if you do that, it's going to be a lot less stressful. Again, I'm happy we didn't have this book because we would have never opened up our couples counseling center.
2: <laughs>
0: but no. So, it, well, thank you for this book because it's actually amazing. I'm halfway through. But oh, thank you again, that five to 15 minutes a day, just falling in love, making love. I love how you said that, making love. It's not about yeah. sex. It's about making that time to love each other and fall in love every day.
2: Which is something, by the way, is ageless. It doesn't matter how old you are, how your body works. or doesn't work. Uh, That can be done in the the nineties, but that is something that's lost on a lot of people
1: and it can be, it can be instituted immediately. Actually, I think this segues to like a nice question that kind of wraps this up a little bit. And it came from one of our therapists at our center and sure. what are some of your favorite rituals for connection during times of transition? Tracy and I
2: are big on reunions and separations, So we always embrace whenever we're greeting each other. We always embrace, even if we're greeting each other, I'm in my room right now in the back of the house doing this. She's in the front room working. And then I'll come out there and we'll, we'll greet each other again. So we have made it such that we always greet each other on the phone in person with hi <laughs> because we we know that the very first thing that we see and hear sets the tone for what happens next and so it's never hi what mm-hmm. it's always hi and i got to tell you uh, when that is automated and that becomes sort of a natural thing it makes a difference when we're greeting and we also have another <laughs> another thing we do um loving affectionate romantic things for each other throughout every day and we do that at every moment i get up and i'm out there doing something saying something to her she's doing the same with me and it makes our day it just makes a hard day cuz we deal with like you do a mm-hmm. deal with a ton of people all around the world sure. And it's very depleting. It's very depleting to do the job we do, you know, listening to horrible, sometimes very Mm -hmm. sad stories all day. And so to have each other and have that instituted. And the principle is, of course, we do these things regardless of how we feel. If we're mad at each other, we still do it. If we hate each other, we still do it. Either way it gets done. That's the meaning of a principle. It's based on what needs to happen, not what we feel like doing. I like that. Could you say that one more time, please? A a principle is based on on a purpose. It's not a feeling-based goal. Something needs to be done. So let's say one of our purposes is uh, we can go to bed angry, but we must touch toes. (laughs) <laughs> I like at that. So I'm a toe toucher. Yeah. Well, that, that makes a huge difference biologically because of, you know, with human primates, a breach in the relationship is an existential concern that causes, uh, leads to illness actually. And so what we want to know when there's a breach of any kind, misunderstanding, a uh, fight or whatever that we're okay. I may be angry with you, but we're okay. That's all we need to relax
1: It's that reassurance. We're safe, right?
2: Exactly. We're safe. The relationship is still intact. The state of the union is good. And so when people put in these rituals principles, remember that you're doing it regardless of how you feel. It must be done. Uh, It's not because you feel like it. it must be done. And that's awesome because it means that good things will happen regardless of how you feel And that's got to be better than a poke in the ass.
1: That's got to be a great message to your partner, too, right? Like that, that, that regardless of how I feel, being connected to you and letting you know that we are safe, that this isn't fracturing, you know, that's got to feel like so, like, okay, all right, well, then I can make it through this uncomfortable time.
2: Even simpler than that, regardless of how I feel, this is what I bought into. I said yes to it. It's a character choice to do the right thing. When it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah.
0: That just gives me goosebumps because it really is about, it's like soothing each other. Like life is really hard enough. It is. Individuals already have a hard enough time soothing themselves. Partners get very reactive <laughs> if that yeah. individual soothing isn't there. But when we can find a way to do that and not bring just the feelings into it, but purpose. Oh. Yes.
1: It gets done, and it saves the union. Yes. All right, I, I I feel like I need like some closure here. This will help me. Like, so you met Tracy in seventh grade. When did you? <laughs> yes. like, do you mind sharing? Like, when did you? When did you fall in love and and you know come together in that way? Well, I had a crush on
2: her throughout junior high and high school, but she didn't know it. We ran in different circles. I was a musician who basically skulked around, moody, wearing black. <laughs> Leather (laughs) and Tracy was a sunny surfer, blonde, tall beauty. You know, in the popular group, she was the nice girl flanked by mean girls. So therefore, it was she was hard to approach. She had a posse. She had a posse. Yeah, Um, (laughs) I didn't have one, and so we didn't hook up until our forties. We both went through marriages that failed, and that was the other thing that got me working with couples. Is that I was immensely depressed. Um, and I felt tragically, mortally wounded by my divorce, and my only salvation was to be able to work as a therapist and to teach. And I directed my attention more towards couples because I wanted to figure out what I had done figure wrong. It out. Yeah. And so, you know, we're in a field that's got it a lot by selfishness, right? You know, it's a sure. teacher teaches what the teacher needs to know. And so so then I met Tracy and we courted by email. And then we eventually met at our neighborhood haunt, Will Rogers State Park, and we went for a hike. And the rest is history.
1: I I really lucked out, yeah. I gotta say. I feel the same way. That shares some some similarities in, in our relationship. And it's uh, definitely the drive... Now, like you got to live to your like ninety something to get your fiftieth anniversary, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) We made it to our twentieth. Yeah, you got (laughs) it. You got big investment in uh, health and supplements. But I just tell people that I backdated to when we were when we were
2: eleven. So yeah, or when we were you know thirteen or whatever that was. She just didn't know that you guys were dating. (laughs) She just didn't know. But in my mind, she was she was uh, the love of my life. That's
1: awesome.
0: I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Stanford, just like all of the work you've done and the research and the books and your podcasts and your TED talks. Like I've, you know, I'm a total like groupie.
1: I'm, I'm so happy. And it's been, it was, it was fun, you know, preparing to, to speak with you too, because you have a great, like fun, Sense like, of humor. playful energy. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, with such like incredible knowledge wrapped in like a really like humanistic, just wonderful filter that it runs through. So, you know, thank you for everything you do. Thank you so much. And, and, and
2: someday we need to get together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That would, that would be a, that would be I'm a blast. So we're down. not far, we're in Tucson, so we're, we're not, we're not far from Southern California. Well, thank you, Stan. Thank you for being a part of our show, sharing your uh, incredible information. Wisdom
0: and beautiful brain. Uh,
1: we'll place on our show notes, you know, links to a lot of your information, your your books. Yeah, people can always find me at
2: thepactinstitute.com and all my social media is at Dr. Stan
1: Tatkin. So on all social media platforms. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we're always open to your suggestions on show topics, on uh, any questions you might have, uh, possible guests you'd love to hear us talk to.
0: Yes, send us an email at info at he said, she said And as I always close, take care of yourself, take care of each other. All right. Bye
1: bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Yeah.